Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in a very, very empty and quiet capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Benjamin Verrill, founder of Toffee Hammer Productions, a company who focuses on developing and marketing ideas for mainstream media. Benjamin, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, before we start our conversation on leadership, I'd like to ask you how your uh, company has been affected by COVID-19. Um, it's been quite interesting, really, um, because we do a lot of work for um, large organizations uh, around communications. Um, we've actually had a bit of a boom time, but um, but how we manage that boom has been quite complicated because um, because obviously we're not in the office, so I've had to rely on people working from home and various freelancers. So in a, in a curious way, um, I've been as busy as I've been all year, uh, but um, it's been you know, much more complicated in terms of coordinating different people's efforts um, literally around the country to try and deliver the sort of training and communication that's needed during this difficult time. Do you feel that uh, your business was prepared uh, for this isolation or is it been a steep learning curve? Um, sort of. I mean, because we have a dispersed workforce generally, um it hasn't been, it, I would have thought we would have been very well prepared for it, to be perfectly honest, because I, I use a lot of home workers uh, already um, and uh, we have a, a small central office, but quite often we're, we're working with uh, different people's, you know, expertise throughout the country. Um, that said, of course, uh, you can't be prepared for something like this. And suddenly the home workers that uh, I've used to phoning at uh, any hour of the day, uh, you suddenly hear children in the background and uh, um, they're trying to juggle homeworking mm. with business and so on. So in ways that I wasn't expecting, um, it's, it's been completely disruptive. Um, in other ways, you know, we're, we're set up, we always set up to work from home anyway. So it was really a case of when the directive came out, Everyone packed up their laptops and we just made sure that, you know, as far as possible, we were able to uh, continue with the business. Now, uh, let's uh, transition on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this conversation by asking a very simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Wow. Simple question. Complicated answer, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think um, I think a true leader is somebody who enables uh, other people to be their best, simple as that. Um, how they do that depends on the particular personality of the person in charge, uh, depends on, on their particular way of communicating and so on. But ultimately, you know, you know you've been successful as a leader when everybody feels like they're performing at their very best. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, and I, I don't think there's any particular characteristics uh, that make a, a strong leader. I think it depends on the team that you have. Um, and I think partly being a leader is creating a team that suits your leadership style, um, to be perfectly honest as well. You know, I, I'm I'm very much not a micromanager. I'm somebody who tries to enable everybody to 
contribute and be um, be their very best and to feel like they've got a lot of variety in their work um, and to contribute ideas. Um, so, but other people don't respond to that type of leadership. So I'm not criticizing people who have a different type style of leadership, but I think, I think it's about, for me, it's always about teamwork um, and being, being the best leader for the particular team that you're managing. It's very interesting uh, to look at it from a perspective of individual leadership styles. Um, do you feel that your leadership style is constantly changing? It's, it has done recently, <laughs> very much so, <laughs> the last three weeks. Um, yes, I, I mean, you, you, you have to adapt to people. So um, I think, I mean, I've been leading teams for sort of 15 years and uh, you know your leadership style has to adapt uh, depending on the circumstances so at the moment I I manage as I say a dispersed workforce and that's quite an interesting challenge in itself because you need to keep people on board on in the same uh, on the same project mm. uh, but not in the same room and that that creates certain uh, challenges um, but in the past, I would manage a team of ten people who were all in the same room, but um, but you know they all had different ideas about the project they were working on, and you need to have uh, good conflict management skills in those uh, situations. So, yeah, I mean, it's about it, you know it's a huge part about being a leader is being adaptable. I think. Now, how do you keep them motivated uh, if they are dispersed? That's a that's a constant challenge. Um, I think we've got social media channels um, which help. Um, so we're able to stay online uh, for most of the day. Um, you know, I, I work with people all over the world, literally, and although the time differences are, are obviously slightly out of sync, um, we have a policy of you know logging on so that we can chat. And it's not idle chat, but it's just it's just being able to say I'm stuck with this. Or I, I'm not sure how to do that, and then you can quickly jump onto a Skype call uh, or or another uh, another social media platform, um, and and effectively it's like walking over to the desk. So you know I, I like to think of my office being an open plan office that's spread throughout the world, really, mm. um, because the 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 actual behaviours are very similar. You get on with your own work, but when you're stuck, when you need to have a chat or you need to brainstorm something, you can effectively walk over to that person's desk and have a chat or walk into a meeting room and have a chat. The difference is, is that it's done online these days rather mm. than physically in a space. Um, but on the, on the point of motivation, for me, excuse me, for me, um, in what we do because we're, we're creating media and we're coming up with ideas a lot of the time. Um, the real motivation, I think, comes from feeling like your ideas are being listened to, that it's not just a, a top-down organisation. It's one where we go, right, here's a problem. How do we problem-solve it together? Um, one thing I've said on numerous occasions is that I know when we've had a very successful meeting, whether it's with a client in their office or internally over Skype, is when everybody leaves that room, whether it's real or virtual, believing that they've come up with the best idea because the best idea comes from everybody working together. And if you can, if you can get that sense of 
ownership over an idea, then it means that everyone's motivated to do the very best they can from it. Um, you know, it doesn't always work, I've got to be honest. Uh, but there is an amazing sense of motivation when you feel like you're all working on something that you've created together. Um, you know, nothing beats that in terms of motivation. What sort of leaders motivate you? Who inspires you? Um, I think the, you know, this is a, I'm not going to name famous people. I'm going to say the people that, that genuinely inspire me day by day. Um, and, you know, especially now, I would say. And that's the small business owners um, who create a space that is uh, a really welcoming space for members of the public, whoever they are, and their staff. And I'm talking about small cafe owners, really, mm. and small businesses where you you are working hand to mouth a lot of the time, but you're creating an environment where everybody feels like they've got ownership over the product, which might be a cafe or a coffee shop or a, a small bookshop. Um, so that really you've got, you, when you go in there, it doesn't matter who you speak to, uh, they feel like they've got ownership over that, that particular business. Um, and especially, I mean, I'm thinking at this time about uh, cafe owners because one of the things that, I noticed in Lewis, where I live, is that so much of the care in the community happens within cafes and small businesses. Right. Um, and, you know, that is an added burden, actually, on running a small business. But it's accommodated, you know, it's a very good, welcoming space for people who would otherwise be lonely. Um, and, you know, also quite often, you know, thinking about uh, home workers as well. Quite often you go into a cafe and it's full of laptops, people in a co-working space effectively, but it's run as a cafe. It's, it seemed to be a coffee shop. Um, and I think, you know, those it's those leaders that I think we should really celebrate at this time because it's quite easy when you've got the, um, when you've got a, a board of directors underneath you or, um, you know, uh, government supporting you or whatever it is. But when you're working hand to mouth and, creating employment and creating a safe space for people in difficult times. I, you know, I think, I think those people should be really, you know, uh, applauded. And I think that you could learn a huge amount by shadowing uh, a cafe owner, for example, for a short period of time and transfer some of their unbelievable leadership skills into your own business. Um, because, you know, just that idea of keeping people motivated, keeping people uh, having ownership over the business mm. when when day to day you don't know what your income is going to be necessarily. And you certainly, you know, you could be affected by floods one day and coronavirus the next. Well, unfortunately, the thing that we're affected by at the moment is time. Uh, we have no more of it. Um, before I let you go, uh, what does the next uh, 12 months have in store for Toffee Hammer? Um, we are developing some new ideas. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to do with the business is to uh, create a little bit more uh, self-sustainability. So uh, we are going, we are working on some top secret uh, products uh, that we're going to unleash into the world, taking lots of our um, uh, learnings from working with uh, big organizations and trying to create products that help smaller organizations. 
Well, uh, Benjamin, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you today, and I hope that you come back on the program uh, at some point in the future. Uh, Benjamin, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Benjamin Verl, founder of Toffee Hammer Productions. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system 
probably three or four years earlier, he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, it maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before I was I was playing. 
Um, I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I were going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into him because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well and more than that whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them and there really must have been moments maybe there weren't but uh, let us know in that 66 competition the prolonged pressure on all of you you know the weight of a nation did it get to you oh not for me personally no I I think and I don't not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. 
Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with, but it won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make again, laugh if you, that put, day. if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. 
he has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And, of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. 
we have some great players. Obviously, we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. It, you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over it, go over the past, and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.